Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the most electrifying event in podcast history, where our host, Petros, the podcast presenter, Pat Silvers, hailing from Brighton, goes up against the Californian, Nick Cage, in this bout where our contender tries to figure out what the fuck is going on in the 1998 Brian De Palma-directed Snake Eyes. Having won the Oscar two years ago, Nick Cage is really on the ropes with this one. Will it be a stinker? Will it be a glorious event? There's only one way to find out, guys, and that's to get raging with a Cajun. Hello, guys. Before we get into the main event, there's a few things I need to talk about, like have I seen this film? This is one I actually have. I have watched Snake Eyes. I don't really remember that much about it, but I recently watched the Brian De Palma documentary from last year, just entitled De Palma, and it's talked about quite a bit in that as well, and I know that this film has an alternative ending. I haven't managed to find a version with that. I'm going to check in a moment when I I put the DVD in whether it has the alternative ending on there and I'll watch that as well just to see what could have been with this film whether that would have made any difference um it might sway my opinion I might think fuck I wish I'd gone with that original ending because from what I remember from the De Palma documentary it seemed pretty fucking nuts it seemed pretty biblical um apart from that uh yeah let's get them rules out of the way uh let's do this nice Quick, simple, no distraction. So when I watch the film, there's only two people who matter in this world to me, and that is myself and Nicolas Cage. The outside world does not exist. I turn my phone off. I um, do not look at my laptop, don't look at my phone, don't look at laptops, whatever. I House phone doesn't matter, front door doesn't matter. Nothing matters apart from the film I am watching. And no expectations. So... As I've said, I've seen this film, but with those I haven't seen, I go in not knowing anything. No scores, no trailers, no Metacritic, no Rotten Tomatoes, no nothing. I don't even ask people about it. If people say, oh yeah, that film, I go, shut the fuck up. I don't want to know. Um, and here's now to a new little thing to try on the podcast. Uh... As we heard last week, we had the Anagram Hunter, uh, Thomas W. Hunter, on Twitter give us a nice little anagram for City of Angels. Well, I've contacted the lovely gentleman on Twitter to see if he can provide me with an anagram a week. And if the film so does allow it, he will provide an anagram. So, for this week's film, Snake Eyes, the anagram he has provided is Kanye sees. Um, I'm not sure how to take this and whether this has any impact on what the film <laughs> will provide for me, but if it is anything like what Kanye sees, maybe this is a view on megalomania and egocentric nutters. Um, I will let you know about that when we return. But if you want to follow uh, 
the Anagram Hunter. It's easy enough to do so on Twitter, which is Thomas, so T H O M A S underscore W, the letter W, um, underscore Hunter, so H U N T E R. I will, um, if he tweets any of these or any of his tweets, I'll be retweeting a lot of his stuff anyway. So, yeah, expect anagrams for him and hit him up for funny anagrams that he just comes up with on a daily basis. Um, So, yeah, that's enough of that. Let's get raging with a cage. So the fight is over and it is time for the rundown of the boxing match. Uh, Yeah, it's time to, (laughs) in other words, I've watched Snake Eyes and it is time to talk about one, what the fuck happens in this film and two, what the fuck I thought about it. Um, So let's, as always start at the beginning because that's when things will make sense Uh, it opens with uh i thought my tv was fucking up because it starts off with a very small aspect ratio of a news report um i was like oh fuck i keep having a problem with a lot of these dvds uh i i have an excessively large tv in my flat and um (laughs) A lot of these DVDs I've bought, I bought them super cheap, so they're not in widescreen, so um, they don't actually take up the full size of my TV, but that's a, that's a real first world problem, but this one, it wasn't the case, it is definitely in widescreen, and it is on Netflix, so if any of you are watching along uh, with me and uh, live in the UK, you can always pop on Netflix now and watch it before you listen to to what I've got to fucking say about it. So, it opens, said, news broadcaster talking about the fact that there is a hurricane on its way and there is a big fight, the last fight that will be happening in the Atlantic City Arena. Um, The newscaster is cut short and they are telling her, do not refer to it as a hurricane, refer to it as a Tropical storm, because that sounds better to the people. Then we cut to the inside of the arena and another screen. A lot of this film is told through screens and it's great. It's a great device that Brian De Palma has used. But on this screen, we see the lovely face that we have all been waiting for. Nick Cage as Rick Santoro. And... um. Oh, the next 13 minutes of this film are um, a wanna. Um, for those of you who don't know what a wanna is, it is a lovely, lovely device. I love them in films. Um, for example, you can look back to like the Goodfellas restaurant coming in through the back door of the restaurant scene. There is uh, the episode of, uh, I believe it's season 10, episode 4 of... It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Charlie work, which has a seven-minute one, which I did a little bit of research on, and it actually has three edit points in that, but has the illusion of one continuous shot. And they are always... Oh, I love them. They're brilliant. And this film oh, just grabs you straight away with this glorious one-shot that just, like... Oh, you, like... You just, I find you just get swept on it. One thing about this film is, and a lot of Brian De Palma's films is, the camera work is gorgeous. And this film almost feels like it is an exercise in Brian De Palma going, what the fuck can we throw at the screen? How can I film in many different ways and make this film look lavish? So I am going to give you a play-by-play, like a boxing match, of this glorious Glorious Wanna. Um, so, <laughs> we start off. Rick Santoro is talking to the TV presenter. He then walks out away from the 
screens and then talks to a bookie who is coming out of a room who uh tyler the one of the boxers is in he then whilst talking to the bookie is kind of like oh, i want to put some i want to put like a big old bet on and he had got some money from the tv presenter about the bet and he's like i want to put on five big ones and he's like eh, you're not good for the money rick i'm not too sure like this is an early stage where we see we see straight away really that rick santoro is a scummy low down dirty guy but there's something about him he's got a roguish charm um i i bought into him i really like rick santoro as he says in this everybody loves ricky and i was one of them so whilst talking to the bookie he gets distracted because there is a guy he recognizes i guess a another low down dirty criminal and he chases him this guy's named cyrus plays by louis guzman uh, <laughs> he chases him as i said all bear in mind this is all one shot the camera is panning or the panning no the camera is tracking nicholas cage and lou guzman down a flight of stairs goes past them swings back round, catches louis guzman on the floor and um, whilst cage is roughing him up and the camera just pans up and down just to follow the action and it is whoa, it is glorious <laughs> he then like roughs him up takes money Gives the money he had taken from Cyrus to the bookie who has managed to make his way down to the stairs. Then Tyler comes down the stairs ready to enter the ring. And at this moment, Rick Santoro is like following him as the camera follows Rick Santoro. Tyler and his cronies follow on down to the boxing ring and the camera lingers with us as rick santoro talks to one of the ring girls more most importantly round seven she is won over by the fact that rick santoro's favorite number is lucky number seven so keep bearing in mind guys the camera is staying with them it then follows them down into the arena and she goes her way, Rick Santoro goes his way, he is now ringside and he talks to a friend of his who is in um, like marine garb, he's got all his st- stitched like m- medals of honour on the front and stuff like that and we find out that he is the head of security for this match because there is a guy in attendance who is like the secretary of defence, so he has said I personally want to be in charge of what is going on. I want to oversee that everything is okay on the front of security. They talk ringside and the camera swing pans over. I believe this might have been a point where it's an edit point, but just looks glorious. Swings over to a redhead who catches the attention of Kevin Dunn, who is Rick Santoro's friend and head of security for this boxing match the camera then swings back to them as they talk a bit more and then kevin dunn notices that the redhead looks out of place and he's like do you notice anything different like odd about her the fact that she's a solo woman at a boxing match who is she with a bit weird of a point to make but a point nonetheless he then pursues her talks to her and they run off in Kevin's place sits down a blonde lady and she sits down to next next to Rick Santoro and is talking to the secretary of defense behind her then in the commotion of everything receives a call and the voice on the other end says hey look it's me lucky number seven and at this moment a sniper's shot is blasted and rings out around the stadium um i'm just gonna have a little breakdown of this kind of this one it's just all like the events that happen within it one thing that is great about this is it is all centered around this boxing match which until later on in the film we do not actually see it is what's going on around the boxing match and stuff is elaborated on as the film goes on but it is great uh other examples of 
one as I, I don't know I don't I was gonna add in a little extra part just talking about my love for them but I just don't know, I want to kind of talk about like yeah maybe one or two more just reference points for you guys like to know what I'm talking about like a, a brilliant use of the long take the the one or as it were I keep saying that word stop saying one uh, is Birdman a film that uh Inyaratu uh, yeah Alejandro Inyaratu's Birdman from 2014 uh definitely check that out that whole film gives the illusion that the whole thing is shot in one continuous take and there's something that there's something gripping about that um I don't know let me know if you don't like them and I will tell you to fuck off and not listen to this podcast you bastard <laughs> but yeah this sh- just ah oh, the just the beauty of the one the the shots in this film are oh, there is some shortcomings to the film but the way it is shot is not one of them <laughs> so moving on with the plot um not only has the secretary of defense been shot but the lady with the now blonde wig we have noticed because it has fallen off as rick santoro tackles her to the ground just in case another shot is fired out has been shot in the arm the arena is then locked down people are in a frenzy and the word is given that nobody is allowed to leave because shit needs to be gotten to the bottom of um Rick then takes Kevin Dunn to one side and says to him, you need to save yourself because obviously he was in charge of security and a big, yeah, one of the most important guys at the fight has been fucking shot. So he's shitting himself. He's like, I don't know what to do. And this is when we realise that Rick is a police officer and is a bit of a corrupt one at that. And he's like, well, just sell the story so it looks good to you. That's kind of what I do. Just leave out all the bits that you didn't do, but let's just tell them the stuff that you did do. And it sets up that they have an hour and a half before the feds arrive. At this exact moment, the state police are there and Ricky Santoro bursts into action saying, yo motherfuckers, you've got no jurisdiction here. This place is not owned as a casino yet. This is still an arena. So this is jurisdiction of Atlantic City PD. And guess what, motherfuckers? I'm a detective. I'm homicide. This is a homicide. This is my jurisdiction. I'm getting shit done. I'm running (laughs) Tings. <laughs> he then cuts a deal with the um, TV presenter from the beginning, who he had taken the money for from the bet, about he can kind of cover what is going on because he wants his big break. This is a sign of just like this whole film just kind of oozes with the idea of corruption. And I believe like Atlantic City, because it, apart from Vegas, is one of the big gambling cities in America, just facilitates that so well as a place to set the film. Um, he then goes to look at the fight footage because he wants to kind of figure out what was going on because in all the commotion he had locked eyes with Tyler the boxer and who seemed to be fine even though he had been knocked out seemed to be fine when the gunshots bled out throughout the stadium his eyes pinged wide open um upon looking at the footage we find out that the final punch the knockout punch was a fake was an air punch he took a dive um we then see a scene of the lady i'm gonna refer to as as the lady just because um we don't actually i don't think we find out her name uh she is played by carla Giugino, i believe is her name um I was, I looked it up, and I've bloody forgotten, bloody hell, 
podcast gold this is a man looks up a name on the internet and it is Carla Gugino and her character's name is Julia Costello so from now on I'll be calling her Julia sorry for that aside let's continue <laughs> we see her washing up in a bathroom getting rid of the blood she's trying to get herself the fuck out of there um Rick then goes to see Tyler to be like, what the fuck is going down? He pushes him for an autograph and he's like, I know you took the dive. He just goes in on him and it is a great scene by Cage. Um, I feel like this is a perfect role for him because it takes that element that he has built up so far in his career of that kind of sleazy guy. But you can see a glint in his eye that he can do good if pushed to it. Even though Tyler is reluctant at first, Rick soon wears him down and gets him to do the autograph and he then sends his goons out of the room because it's time for them to have a serious chat about the shit that has gone down. Um, Tyler says to him, he didn't realise that they'd kill anyone. And he's like, what do you mean they kill anyone? Let's 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 backtrack a little here. Then we get the first use of uh, flashback we have in this film, and again it's shot amazingly because straight away it is shot, and every time it's kind of someone's perspective, it is shot from a point of view shot, and we see scenes that we've already seen, but from different perspectives, and obviously what they're telling Rick is what we see. So it might not necessarily be the truth it is just what people are relaying to him and i thought that was great for as a, a an amazing device in this film to create i don't know obviously to it is kind of a contained story and to be able to tell the varying perspectives of it was great and it gave you that kind of murder mystery classic almost like Hitchcockian thing of like you don't know who to trust um so the flashback we learn that Tyler is in debt with the casinos and that if he took the dive he would be cleared he tells Rick that there was a plant in the crowd and that when he heard the line here comes the pain that is when he would take the dive. Um, Tyler then goes into the blow-by-blow blow of the fight, and we finally get to see the big fight night, Atlantic City's Arena's final bout. Mano e Mano boxing match. I just threw out any boxing <laughs> terms I knew there. Just to sound like I knew what the fuck I was talking about. Um, he kind of says, like, he really wanted, like, he was trying to go, like, get the guy to fucking hit him, but the guy was useless. And yeah, we see things play out from his point of view. And then he explains to Rick that the lady who had explained the plan to him was a redhead, which instantly sets Rick off like bang because he remembered the redhead that Kevin Dunn had pointed out to him when they were sat ringside. Rick's first point of call to go to is Kevin and he says, oh, what the fuck is going on? And uh, Kevin explains about the shooter and he says, like, we got him, he is a terrorist he's a wanted terrorist he had this note on him he is a bad guy and kevin explains to him a about a weapons test that had gone well that is why the secretary of defense and the kind of guy who had put it all together um pal his name is he is played by the late great john hurd who some of you might know as being kevin McAllister's dad Peter McAllister, big up, God rest your soul. <laughs> um, so they were in high spirits and that might be 
as to why he was kind of his head wasn't in the game and then he explains to Rick what happened from his point of view and says that when he went to talk to the redhead they were flirting he was too busy looking at her tits and is beating himself up because he was too busy doing that instead of being three feet away conveniently from the sniper and the moment the sniper shot then kevin laid three bullets through a vent straight into him killing him instantly rick and dunn then part ways and rick is going to the cctv headquarters because the red-headed lady is unaccounted for and he's gonna see if he can see her on the casino Uh, CCTV managed she slipped out of the arena and got into the casino next door and Dunn goes through a staff only door to reveal that he is involved he goes down into what looks like a basement and the guy who had shouted here comes the pain and the red-headed lady are there in full kind of we're up to some shady shit garb. They've got like black jackets on. They've got like black military hats on. Doc Martin boots, black trousers. They look like they're like, come on, we got to get the fuck out of here. We're in a bit over our head. We were supposed to be gone out of here by t- like 10 minutes ago. Kevin's like, well, there's a couple of glitches. Like, there's a lady who might know what the fuck is going on and might blow this whole thing out wide and then he shoots them both in the fucking head and um yeah we realize that uh kevin dunn played by gary sinise uh is a bit of a fucking bad motherfucker i've got to admit that i kind of had my doubts from the beginning of this film not only have i seen this film before but gary sinise is a very weaselly looking guy anyway and he's not got a very trustworthy face i'm not sure if i've seen him in anything where he plays a good guy um if i'm wrong please let me know please let me know any gary sinise good guy performances in films and i will shut the fuck up because i don't know what i'm talking about um rick is looking at the cctv of the casino and then he sees that julia is in the casino flirting with a guy and she's trying to get him to go to his room because she wants to get the fuck out of here she is like leaving the casino with the guy they're kind of playing slot machines on the way she's flirting it's actually pulled up on the cctv because they're like oh i think we've got a hooker in the (laughs) in the casino and rick santoro is like no i fucking know who that is at this moment, security tell done. They're like, that's the lady we're looking for. He's now in pursuit. So is Rick. She manages to get into an elevator with this gentleman, a poor stooge who just thought he was going to get lucky. Might not necessarily be the case, mate. Uh, Kevin also gets into the elevator with them and Rick is left stranded at the bottom but catches the next elevator all the way through this rick is uh on the radio with the cctv operators the surveillance guys and he is trying to help them well they're trying to help him get to wherever julia and her stooge are going uh it transpires that his room is on the 35th floor for an ingenious thing winding back the tape his id is out on the table they then run that through the system to find out that thomas newman or whatever his name is is in room 35 17 floor 35 room 17 that's yeah that's how you work out hotel room numbers apparently uh okay uh, <laughs> dunn gets off at level 36 as to not raise suspicion that he is following them um and dunn is traipsing through the hallways on level 35 trying to find which room 
they are in. Rick is trying to find the room as well, but he has the upper hand because he knows the number. But it is this kind of tense race against time of who is going to get there first and is shit going to go down. And we are given a delight by Brian De Palma at another fantastic shot. Might not be... Um, spatially correct. I read a couple of things online after watching the film that, uh, yeah, people, I don't sure if people get in pernickety with mistakes in this film, but one of them is that the geography, because it's a POV, uh, not POV, is a bird's eye view shot going over the rooms and seeing what is happening in the rooms and then lands on the room that Julia and the gentleman she is with are in. But it is... Again, like the one, oh, oh, yes, a visual delight. <laughs> the guy tries to get a bit frisky with Julia and she is having none of it. He then suspects her to be a drug addict or he wants she wants to steal from him. And he's like, that's it. Get the fuck out. And he throws her into the arms of Rick Santoro. The gentleman then wanders the halls of the hotel, pissed off that obviously he hasn't got any action, and the fact that he's just been kicked out of his own room by slippery Nick Santoro, uh, who wants to have a chat with Julia. And the gentleman finds Dunn wandering the halls and is like, Hey man, you're in an official uniform. I've just been kicked the fuck out of my room. Let's go sort it out. And then, again, the tension is ramping up because it is squeaky bum time because you're like, fuck, Dunn's going to go into the room and Rick's going to be there and Julia's going to be there and he's not going to be happy. But when they open the door, they are gone. And Dunn's pulled out his silence pistol for no reason and the guy says to him, Oh, is that, is that a silencer? Yeah. <laughs> Rick and Julia then take a seat on some fire exit steps. And she explains to him her version of events. Um, she explains that she used to be a... She's the one who puts together the test results for ballistics tests... And she discovered that the results were doctored. These results were um, from the tests that were run by Dunn, um, the defence secretary, and a guy called Powell. She had reached out to the defence secretary to let him know what was going on. And he said he needed the proof in person. And the best way to do it would be to bring them to the boxing match. And she had tried to get, like, his attention beforehand, but Powell was there and so was done. So there wasn't much, like, she kind of needed him alone and waited until the boxing match whilst it was all going on. So she could get to him and to give him the information. But whilst she was trying to find her opportune moment, she had a vantage point from above and saw... Dunn speaking with the red-headed lady and the assassin. It is at this news that Rick Santoro cannot believe his ears. He's like, no way. You're not telling me that Dunn is a shady dude. I am not having it at all. Um, She then explains that the defence programme was corrupt. She's like, hey, let me fucking finish my story. I know what I fucking saw. You dodgy bastard rick then shaken by the news and worried for julia's safety locks her in some weird basement nondescript room and goes to see if there is any other means of knowing whether dunn is in on it or not uh, we then see a scene of dunn talking with pal they're fucking sweating it they are worried pal's like this is not the deal i signed up for like I like this is getting way out of hand. People are being killed left, right, and center. Like your team's fucked. Will Santoro be the guy that you wanted him to be? Will he easily be able to just 
wiped under the carpet because you're starting to realise that is kind of why uh, Dunn has got him involved or has invited him along because he would make a, a good alibi for him because he is a bit of a sleazeball cop. Um, Rick notices on the arena floor that there is like a blimp camera that is circling the top of the arena and then goes back to the um, guy who was dealing with all the footage from the boxing match and says, does that camera work? And call blimey, it had just been delivered that day, so Dunn knew nothing about it. And what you know, the footage managed to catch Dunn in the act of dealing with Oh, no, shooting the assassin moments after. You can see on him that he knows exactly what was going on. Whilst Rick is watching this footage in the back on a staircase, you can see a pair of legs and dread begins to build. You're like, oh, fuck, you know it's only going to be one guy. It's the creep, the weasel, Gary Sinise, the main man. Admiral Dunn himself creeps on in and then as they begin to talk an announcement comes across the TV delivered by Powell saying that the secretary Kirkland has died and that the plans for air guard are to go ahead and that we've got a message for you scumbags out there shit like this is not going to be taken but we've got the right measures to fuck you up, air guard is going ahead. We're bombing the shit out of everyone. Um, and Rick is not happy, and he says, "Why did it have to be me? Why the fuck am I here? Why have you brought me into the middle of this fucking shit show?" And Dunn explains his reasons to be. He needed a cop to back his alibi, and if that didn't work out and if shit got hairy he knew he could be bought out if anything went wrong well mr dunn you done fucked up because rick santoro is not the kind of guy who can be bought out so easily when it comes to something as important as the safety of the usa um rick is hurt as his bestie has fucking really, really fucked him up. (laughs) And then Dunn gives this bullshit speech about how he was a soldier and nobody was there for him. And it's something like Air Guard can really make a difference because the people, the politicians, do not care about the army men. And he's like, what do you know about being a soldier? I'm a soldier. Air guard is good. It may have its problems, but we'll figure it out later. It's not probably the thing when it's going 40 and probably killing way more people than it should do. Um, He then offers Rick $1 million to look the other way and just let Julia be killed and all evidence swept under the carpet and for him to get away with his devious plans he wants to know where she is and he's like nah mate i can't be bought and you know what neither can tyler i'm sure he'll say something to someone and miraculously in this moment tyler is brought in down the same flight of stairs that creepy weasel gary sinise weaseled his way down just moments ago to just show us like a nice like Coming out of the curtain as if it were a stage play to be like, here's a visual cue to say, hey, he's with a couple of the goons that I've hired. He's been he's been bought. He took the dive. He'll do anything for a bit of money. He's no longer in debt, so he's going to fucking keep his mouth shut. They then beat the shit out of Rick. Um, luckily, they a man they have bought on side with them is a boxer, so he beats the shit out of Rick in a, in like the basement, and he's just not having it, he's still fucking keeping his mouth stum, he's like, I can't let her die, I'm a good man, and then Dunn threatens him, he's like, even if you get away with this, 
I'll fucking tell people about how corrupt you are, how much of a dodgy cop you are. You'll have no wife. Your girlfriend will leave you. You'll go to jail. You're fucked. And it is in this moment, in a brave moment, looking at adversity in the face, Rick Santoro steps up for the man, for the people, for the women, children of America, spits blood all over Dunn's decorative patches on his jacket with a swift fuck you I'm still not telling you where she is and I was like yeah fuck you done let's go Rick Santoro Rick manages to sneak out of the basement they don't bother to tie him up or anything like that they just like going about their thing sorting out what they need to sort out he manages to like not like sneak he is limping he is beaten black and blue he is bloodied he is bruised but he manages to just walk the fuck out of that basement and there is a massive point i missed out earlier in this film ringside when we're first introduced to dunn he says hey look at this neat little gadget i've got there's guys who are working for me i've got this massive almost ipad sized but like A fucking encyclopedia-thick device that can track my guys wherever they go. And what do you know? He has attached it to our main man, Slippery Nick, Rick Santoro, Cage the Rage. And he is tracking him. And he knows that this is the way he will find out where Julia is. As Rick creeps closer to the door behind which julia is contained he sees the shadow of dunn following him we then get a scene which i am slightly confused about because it seems as if it sets up something that could have been great but just seems to go nowhere with the news crew outside and a big globe that had sat on top of the Atlantic City Arena has come loose due to the fact that the tropical storm is now a full-blown fucking hurricane. Um, And I felt that this was setting up for some fucking rad shit to go down that maybe Dunn will get his comeuppance with this. Even at this point, before I knew what had happened, I was like, yeah, that's going to fucking... That's going to take him out. That's going to kill the motherfucker. This is bad. But like, that's how shit's going to go down. There's going to be some kind of Indiana Jones style. Rick Santoro running away or limping away or getting out, out of the way at the last minute. And it just flattening Gary Sinise to a weaselly little pancake. But no, it does nothing. This scene feels pretty redundant just to let us know that it is now a hurricane and not a tropical storm. Um, I feel like this scene would have had a lot more relevance if they had gone with the original ending they had had planned for this film. But I will get back to that in a moment. Don't you worry about that. Um, Back to Dunn and Rick in the hallway. Rick is just outside the door of where he has got Julia kept and is trying desperately to get in and Dunn goes to shoot him, misses him, misses her. Rick manages to make a heroic dive, grabbing Julia, getting her out the outside door and leaping under a cop van that had careered off the road and had landed exactly where they are with Dunn in tow. And the police instantly are like, freeze motherfucker, we've got you. And it is at this moment he says, come on, Rick, like, back up my story. You know what's going down. And Rick says this amazing line um, <laughs> that, what we, you're on your own, buddy. You're shit out of luck. Snake eyes. Yes. <laughs> In a weird, pitiful moment, instead of giving himself up, Dunn points the silencer against himself and shoots himself what looks like through the heart i felt this was a really anti-climactic end 
it had kind of, to this point, had been just so vast and the way it's shot as well it's kind of it looks like it's through a television camera and looks real grainy and distorted and just i don't know it felt like instead of going with the original ending which i will get to don't worry um they just kind of filmed this in like 20 minutes like oh fuck got to have something this other ending is too expensive the studio don't want to go with it and like I don't, it kind of felt like by this point, Brian De Palma had run out of steam and just kind of gone, you know what, let's just fucking call it a day, guys. And it is at this moment as well, I felt that the film, if it had ended on a bang, could have just ended there, but just trails off um, and gives us this kind of real lazy kind of unnecessary epilogue of... Rick is then considered a hero by the people, but then is very quickly seen that his past has come to haunt him because there are claims that he is corrupt and he eventually gets indicted for corruption and just being a bit of a shit cop. He then meets up with Julia outside of the old Atlantic City arena, which is slowly but surely being turned into a hotel like casino complex and he says to her i have a dream about being in the tunnel and under the water in my dream i drown and i keep thinking of what things would have been if that had happened this would have been all so different i had a look on my face at this moment which is only like it was like what uh i didn't know it was like the same face i probably had at the end of twin peaks just a look of confusion and i was like huh but then it dawned on me that that is a reference to the original ending of this film in the original ending things got biblical a the hurricane erupted into a flood and there would have been a like mental water chase scene between Rick Santoro, Julia and Gary Sinise and in that some shit would have went down. I'm not really too sure. I went to like find it. Um, I might have to watch back like the clips of it that are in the Brian De Palma documentary but instead we got that lacklustre ending with done but... This made no fucking sense because you're referencing something none of us have seen. So this kind of, it really disappointed me in this film. Um, that there are things that are so, such like attention to detail with like the amazing, vast, long shot, the glorious 13 minutes, the amazing like, bird's eye view shot just like the camera work in this the luscious score like the the acting is great Nicolas Cage is perfectly cast in this film as is Gary Sinise as a kind of is he a good guy no he's definitely a fucking bad guy um it's great but this ending this like this bit for one didn't need to be here but to the fact that they, they've missed such a fucking vital point that they're referencing something that never fucking happened for us, the viewer. It's just like, what the fuck? Um, when he's taught, she's like, shut the fuck up. It, it doesn't matter. Like, none of the audience saw what you're talking about. Things will be fine. Don't worry. So what? You're you're going to jail and he asks what hey what the fuck you been up to and she's like well the hearing for the air guard program like being shut down went well and people are gonna get fucking arrested left right and center throughout the program and she asks about his wife and he's like you know what she ran away so like, what about your girlfriend she's like, uh, she ran away as well because nobody wants to be dating a known scumbag who has just been sentenced to 12 to 18 months. And at this moment they say, hey, how about we meet 
18 to 12 months, uh, 12 to 18 months, and then they kiss, and then they part ways, and then we are treated with the scene of the construction site. The camera just pans in, and the credits roll over construction work happening on the Atlantic City Arena. And like that ending, you're kind of left a bit, oh, is that it? That is definitely how the ending of this film left me feeling, because it was so promising up until maybe the last 15, 10 minutes. I feel this film's shortcomings are the ending, because, and... Like, some of the plot is a bit hokey. Like, the how the guys on the CT... Like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's got moments that are great. I'll, I'll give them that. It's obviously got... Yeah, as I've said, it's got the one. It's got the... It's got... It's shot marvellously. But this last ten minutes... Nah, don't want it. Don't want it. Please, Brian De Palma recut this film if you have the original footage make this film better <laughs> like the like the kind of the score on this is great it has like a kind of hitchcock feel to it like the whole film kind of reeks of that i know that brian de palma has been like known to be a kind of modern day Hitchcock by a lot of people and you can see you can see those elements in this film it is just as I keep saying those last 10 minutes really let the whole film down because it's moody it's broody it's like the mystery elements are good the way it's shot is great the POV shots the kind of unfolding of things and not knowing which narrators to trust being shown by people with a different perspective even once when you are shown you are not sure which to believe it's kind of ambiguous in those aspects but it doesn't have the payoff at the end it kind of goes out on a bit of a whimper and that's a real fucking shame so guys you now know what i think about this film before we get to the scores i'm just going to go to what other people i put it out on uh facebook twitter and instagram just to see what you guys have to say about this film and you know what really nice i got a few responses which is quite uh, yeah which is nice uh i really like engaging with you guys always feel free to do so i'll shout about the social medias like at the end but yeah um Hurley McBurley on Instagram uh, is Martin Huckster, who was on the uh, Wild at Heart episode, had this to say about Snake Eyes. I really like this movie. Ending a bit dumb, but great cast and film. I totally fucking agree with you, man. (laughs) The cast and the film are great. That ending is fucking pants. (laughs) And... Uh, Matthew McNulty also on Instagram said, I'm watching this right now, dude. Kind of want there to be a remake with Chibuddy G instead of Cage. Um, Yeah, Chibuddy G is funny. I don't think that character could maybe hold a whole two hour and 20 uh, running time of a film or however long this film is. But yeah, that would be funny. I could definitely see someone like him actually playing the character of Cyrus, Louis Guzman's character. Kind of that like low down, dirty, uh, kind of, I don't know, party boy. Like probably got his fingers in a few dodgy pies. And who else have we got? We have on Facebook, uh, my main man Al said, one of the worst yet very entertaining but definitely stupid. I loved it. Um, okay, I'm not really sure 
what to make of that because that is just a clusterfuck of different emotions. I, I'm not sure whether he really enjoyed it or thought it was terrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for that comment, Al. Um, and oh, we have another <laughs> anagram the amazing Thomas W. Hunter came through with this little gem saying Rick Santoro is my favorite cage character well one of my favorite cage character names it is also an anagram of Nico Rockstar which for any of you who like anagrams or or just yeah like words that's pretty good (laughs) well you now know what I have to say about this film you also know what you have to say about this film who have chipped in now let's see what those motherfucking scores are so imdb gave this film six out of ten followed by rotten tomatoes having a total of 40 percent for this film and our main man, Roger Ebert, gave this film one thumbs up out of four. Ooh. So, yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag there. It's not looking great. Um, I imagine if I read any of the reviews, probably the same thing would be said that this film stylistically tries to play off a lot of good things like with camera work and performance and stuff like that but the story is slightly lacking and also the ending is very lacklustre and goes out on a bit of a uh, like a, uh, just just kind of I, I, I just I, it's like I just fucking let's just give up Oh, who cares anymore? Like, like, you know what? It's fucking getting late. Like, stop filming. Oh, like, oh, oh. Brian De Palma's like, you know what? I've done, I've done so many of these. Like, editing just gets so hard. Like, let's just leave, leave, leave a reference into a line and a moment that never fucking happened in the film. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> well, guys, um, as I mentioned the social media when I said about getting in touch with me that is all at caged in pod so it's at caged in pod on Facebook Twitter and Instagram maybe on Facebook you have to type in the caged in podcast but you should be able to find it pretty easily and yeah I post loads of photos on Instagram and always interacting with people on uh, Twitter and stuff like that Twitter is great for yeah there's loads of other podcasts on there who kind of we all have a little chat and just kind of give each other advice and shit like that um what do we have coming up next week so now snake eyes is just but a distant memory next week i will be talking about eight millimeter but i will not be talking about this one alone no sorry i will be talking about eight millimeter with todd jordan of the bitter end podcast the great bitter end podcast who have just come to the end of their sixth season discussing the chucky franchise the child's play and of yeah like the of chucky uh, <laughs> franchise um their final episode will be released well it would have been yesterday for you guys uh, yeah it'll be tomorrow for me it doesn't matter <laughs> but yeah check those guys out if you haven't but yeah he will be coming to my lovely flat in brighton we'll be sitting down watching eight millimeter and just talking about what the fuck is going on and what cage is doing and is it good is it good? Is it bad? Did we enjoy it? Did we hate it? This is another one I believe I've seen, but it's again, I think I watched like a few of these kind of late 90s Nick Cage films around the same time, which was a good five, six years ago. So I imagine stuff will come back to me when I'm watching it, but I don't know that much about it. So as always, 
I've been Pictures Pat Silvers. I've been caged in. You've been rad. Bye! Everybody loves Rick Santoro. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged in Coppola Connections. A Drip Town Limery, Maine, franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs is more than a podcast network, it's family. <laughs>